Victoria now has budget control with Molly Lensing beating Cuervo, who was their point defender. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the How to Play Quidditch podcast. I'm your host, Alejo Enriquez. I'm very excited today to get talking more about the sport of Quidditch itself and how to actually play. Uh, and as I've said before, I'm not really going to focus necessarily on the rules. I want to talk more about wh- how to play the game well in, in all different aspects and so forth. So today I'm going to be talking a lot about the beating game. That's what I'm going to focus on for this entire episode. And I really think that this could take many podcasts to really get all the way through beating because there's really it's, there's nothing like it in any other sport. Now, mechanically, playing beater is a lot like playing dodgeball. Uh, It has some similarities to the kind of throws that you make in uh, the kind of throwing motion that you make in in football and baseball and so forth, any other sport where you're throwing a ball, really. Um, But there's really so much more to it because the in the game of Quidditch, which I really have to have to salute the original inventors of Quidditch, Alex Benepe and all of them up in Middlebury, the pledgers which you throw, there's three of them. So they form a limited resource. If you ever study economics, you, you learn very quickly about resources and that how it doesn't really matter what the resource is, whether it's guns or butter, you know, as they often say. Um, you, you have a limited supply of them. You have limited bludgers. And so every time you're throwing a bludger to take someone out, there's a chance you may not get it back. There's a, you know, if you're, if, if you're throwing a bludger at someone who's running to the hoops to score on you, you, you may hit them, but then the other, a beater from the other team may get that bludger back, and then you're empty-handed, and you have to go find another bludger or steal one. Um, and because there's three bludgers and four beaters, two on each team, there's uh, uh, the fact that one team will naturally usually have two bludgers and the other one will have one. The team with two bludgers is usually said to have bludger control. I've also heard the words bludger advantage, so I'll be calling it control mostly today. Um, and... The relative value of how important it is to keep bludger control versus how important it is to use those bludgers to to create scoring opportunities and stop goals and so forth, that's really kind of comes down to team philosophy. There's not one best way to do it. Now, many, many teams will tell you, many people will tell you there is a best way to do it, but that's really just the best way for them, for their personnel, for their philosophy. Uh, There are multiple successful Quidditch teams that have won enormous championships and so on with different philosophies and how to use a bludge. But of course, uh, they they all have grasped the fundamentals, and I really want to focus on the fundamentals today. Um, so I'm very excited today to welcome uh, my guest. He is a two-time world champion with Texas Quidditch and a Team USA beater. He has most recently played with Lone Star Quidditch Club. Please welcome Michael Duquette. Let's go. Thanks for coming on the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm really, really happy to have you. Um, so uh, for for those who don't know, who this is your first episode you're listening to, uh, I always like to lead off with some get-to-know-you questions for any new guests that we have um, and to kind of to get to know the, the player, but also get to know um, you know the Quidditch community at large and so forth. So, Here's your first question for you, Mike. Uh, what would you say would be a, per- a moment of personal triumph for you in Quidditch? A uh, personal triumph? Uh, I would say making the uh, Team USA uh, team for the 2016 
IQA World Cup. Um, that was last summer uh, in Frankfurt, Germany, and Team USA came out with the silver medal um, mm -hmm. after playing Australia in the finals and having a really close game. Um, I was really excited to be a part of the team. I was really hoping we'd come out on top, um, but uh, it was a great experience, and uh, it was a pleasure playing with everyone else that was on the team. So that's something I'm, I'm proud of in my Quidditch career. Wow, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a big upset because I think the U.S. had played Australia um, two years prior and it, like, smoked them, right? Something like um, 210 to 0 or something like that. And so that was... Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. For it, it's, it, was just, it was disappointing that we didn't win, but it was really exciting to see that, like, international Quidditch has really stepped their game up and has improved a lot in the last few years. And uh, there's a lot more parity throughout the world, which is really cool for the sport. So that was, that was exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not as fun, like, when you already know who's... I mean, it's fun if you're the one who's doing the winning, but from a larger perspective... You know, it is more the sport. Sports depend on uncertainty to be worth watching and playing and being in. And so, yeah, it definitely is really exciting that Australia is developing. Didn't they? Didn't they like? Um, they had like tryouts and they'd like train together for like months, right, or something like that. Yeah. So, for, to my knowledge, um, they were able to train together for nearly a whole year. Oh wow! Um, with um, so the team, team Australia. Um, is comprised of players from a few teams, uh, whereas Team USA was comprised of players from maybe like 10 to 15 different teams. Yeah, it was um, like a regional requirement. Yeah, and U.S. team, yeah. you had to have at least one player from each region, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, they had the, they were fortunate that they were able to, to practice together throughout the year. Um, and I, they had showed up to Germany like a week early and had to practice every day together. Wow. Um, just play, like strategizing and training to be Team USA, and all the hard work paid off. So kudos <laughs> to them. It was it was a really great experience and fun to see another um, awesome country put on a great display. So yeah, I know there were some people yeah. salty about that last snitch pull because the slow motion replay shows that the seeker was in fact beat, but it was like so close that the ref couldn't. They called it good, even though it was really close, but. uh you know, like they 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 deserve to be in that game. You know, like they really played you guys. I mean, you know better than me. You were there, but like just to see them playing their guts out like that, it it really means the sports come a long way. For sure, for sure. And I mean, they they were the better team. Like there were some calls that could have gone, you know, the other way mm. um, throughout the game, but they showed that. Um, you know, you can play against the best players in the world, and if you have a better team and more team chemistry and cohesion, you can uh, you can really thrive and, and take take a team down. So, kudos to them for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's 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 a big big part of Quidditch history now. And and now the Team USA 2018 is called the Redeem Team, isn't that right? That's what they're calling it. Uh, that that's kind of the the phrase a lot of people are using i i personally am not really a fan of the the title redeem team because i feel like the players on the next team usa team shouldn't have to mm. like live up to like pressure expectations or failures or you know what what have you like it, it's going to be a new crop of players um i mean the goal will be the same but um, I, I personally am not a big fan of that. It's going to be a yeah. completely different team, new leadership, um, and I think they should have their own their own path and their own 
you know, story to live through. And and I, I personally wouldn't want to have the pressure of like, <laughs> like I don't want I don't want to win just because someone else didn't win. I want to win for me. You know what I mean? And that, <laughs> that's true. And, um, well, that's just the way I look at it. Maybe no, that, I'm also maybe I'm also bitter that <laughs> I, I'm I was on the team that is forcing the next team to want to get redemption. So <laughs> that's, um, that's fair. But that's it is fair. what it is. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be really exciting to see the the next crop of players and and how we'll do at the next World Cup. So yeah, that's definitely yeah. You know, you're you're very right about that because it can turn into a head game. Um, I know, like for example, the World Cup a few years ago for soccer, the Brazil they had too much pressure on them because it was hosted in Brazil and it was expected they would win. And and for those who don't know soccer, uh, Brazil ended up losing in, I think, the semifinals to Germany 7-1, to one, which is not a normal score. <laughs> and they yeah. just folded suddenly. <laughs> suddenly their defense just was just a little bit off and they just hemorrhaged points and they couldn't, couldn't keep their heads in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, you, that's true. We definitely don't want to get... Brazil. We don't want to get the. We don't want to have that happen. We should play. Yes. No. I, I agree. You're right about that. It's a good thing to think about. And, it's a good way to think about it. I appreciate that. Yeah. And and I hope for, um, as as someone who was part of the World Cup experience last time, I I hope that we're as a country we're much like as a for USQ um, like everyone that plays American Quidditch. I hope as a whole as a community we're a little less arrogant um going yeah. into it mm-hmm. and and i think it was definitely a humbling experience for everyone that we know that we aren't necessarily the best or at least we're capable of losing a game that everyone thinks will win yeah um i felt like there was a lot of not just pressure on us to win but also pressure on us to dominate everyone yeah. and like frankly like to be frank the way international quidditch has like increased and the way that the like parity of the top teams has developed it's really not fair to expect Team USA to destroy teams anymore. Like, yeah, the Australia, Canada, France, the UK, those are like some really good teams, and they're gonna continue to give Team USA really tough competition. So, yeah, I, I hope there isn't like we don't need to. The Team USA isn't also like trying to prove a point or anything. Yeah. You know, like I feel like we should just go and and play our hearts out and hopefully come out on top and mm-hmm. um yeah. and i think we'll be able to do that next summer i think it would be exciting if if more different teams won and there was more high level competition and more snitch range games in the finals and things like that you know we need we need more of that that definitely because when quidditch is is bad it's really unwatchable so and definitely mm-hmm. we hope that the finals and semifinals will be watchable games that's definitely true yeah mm-hmm. absolutely well, that's a great. That's a great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, here's your next question for you. What is the most epic Quidditch moment you ever bore witness to without being directly involved? In, meaning you weren't playing, you were spectating or refing or, or, or some other, you know, peripheral um, uh, witnessing of. That's a really good question. Um, the first thing that would come to mind for a game I wasn't participating in would probably be watching the. Uh, QCB Lone Star semifinal at World Cup 9. Ooh. QCB being Quidditch Club Boston for anyone who's not familiar and Lone Star Quidditch Club from based out of Austin, Texas. They were uh, so this was two seasons ago. Yeah. Um, a year and a half at the, right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, at the USQ um, Quidditch Cup uh, in let's see that would have been 2016. 
Yep. So that was like yep. Yep. April, like May, late April, early May. And I think that like was that. Rock yeah. Rock Hill, South Carolina, mm, yeah, uh, so. or Columbia. No, that was Columbia, South Carolina. I think. Yeah. But it wasn't wasn't um, one of the Florida ones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, QCB and Lone Star were looked at as like the two top community teams at the time, and both had amazing records going into it, and mm-hmm. uh, they met in the semifinals. Um, and the winner of that game was going to go on to play in the championship game, and a lot of people thought whoever won that game would would win the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was a really really intense game, um, snitch range game, and a lot a lot of the best players in the game, and a lot of great strategy and physicality. And um, QCB ended up winning the game in snitch range, and mm-hmm. and and that was an amazing game to watch. Um. Obviously, being a competitor, I was hoping to be playing at, <laughs> still at that point during the tournament. But um, that was that was really fun to watch and a really big game in Quidditch history. So, yeah. um, so that was a pretty cool moment. Were you, were you still on on Texas Quidditch at the time, 2016? Yeah, that was, was my your... senior year um, at UT. So I was one of the co-captains for the Texas Quidditch team, and we had got knocked out a couple rounds earlier. Uh, by Ball State, right? Ball so Hard University. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yes um no that game is on youtube on usq's youtube and that is that is probably my favorite game to put up when we when we do tabling when we on a laptop to show people what quidditch looks like because it's a good camera angle good commentary and the and the play is is very is absolutely like you say is the elite play very physical very smart play um uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, that's a great that's a great choice right there. Yeah, that was um, that was definitely one of the one of the peaks of the sport. Definitely, no question. All right. Were you uh, were you in attendance? Were you there watching that live? No, I I, uh, I actually. Oh, it was inc- it was incredible. You would you would have loved seeing it live. And I'm, the I'm, fans were the fans were so into it. Uh, I bet I was with Cavalry that year, but I. Uh, at that point in the year, I'd, I'd already kind of um, shifted my commitments over to growing my own uh, Victoria Quidditch, and uh, and I didn't feel like I was really needed at nationals. There was a lot of male chasers already, and I said, "Well, I'll, I'll let someone who wants it more than me, you know, go." Um, mm-hmm. Texas, like Texas Cavalry ended up losing to Lone Star. I think the round before that, or maybe two rounds back, actually. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no. Um, if I, I'm planning on going this year to nationals because it's in Texas, so it's a short trip for me, and I'll actually be the first one I actually attend in person. Although I've watched the many live, many live stream. Mm-hmm. It'll be in Round Rock, Texas, which yes. is about 15 minutes away from my house. Oh, look so, at you! Look at you! It'll, it'll be it'll be awesome. Well, at I'll least be able to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> at least for at least it'll be a, a car ride instead of a flight away this time. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to snitch. I need to get better at snitching. I want to snitch them in, na- in nationals. Be fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah, my snitching style is very strange, though. It's based largely on the little amount of aikido I've taken, because <laughs> I'm not big <laughs> enough or fast enough to to defend against good seekers. So I throw them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, I need to I need to get hook up with someone who does snitching well and talk about snitching podcast sometime. It'd be fun. Um, <laughs> hook up hook up with Tad Walters. Yeah, I should try and reach out. He's the man. I'm the problem is I'm an introvert. Like I know I don't really act like one on a daily basis because my work forces me to be sociable. But 
it's hard to like message people like, hey, you want to be on a podcast? And half the time they're like, no, or no, I never answer at all. And so, you know. Hey, Ted Walters, if you're listening, you heard it here first. Alejo <laughs> wants to have you on the Alejo wants to have you on the podcast. He might not message you, but reach out to him. He's a good guy, and uh, he knows his quidditch. So there's your plug right oh, there. Oh man, love it. Thank you. Yes, Tad. If if you are listening, thank you, and do please come on the podcast. Love to talk some snitching. Oh man. Heck yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Question number three for our guest here today: uh, Who is someone in the quidditch community that you look up to? The Cody Marshall. Woo! <laughs> Oh, Greatest good. chaser of all time. Um, Co- I really look up to Cody uh, because he's been around the sport a long time, and he, he's he been to the top. He knows what it takes. He's played on Team USA. He's won a um, like USQ World Cup. Uh, he's he's the best man, and he's su- he has such a great personality too. Um, and I'm really excited because he's coming to Austin this weekend oh, with his fiance Sarah Holub, um, and I'm really excited to see them. But yeah, he's great, and he's also really willing to help new players um, learn the sport and learn how to become a better player, and he'll he'll answer any question. Actually, he'd be a good guest on the podcast at some point, too, but um, that's just a, oh, yeah. a side note. I definitely um, need some, some, some elite chasers to come on and talk about elite chasing because you know I feel like there, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of that yet on this podcast, and we really should. Hey Cody, Cody would be your man, or my my roommate Stevie Ban or Stevie Bell. Uh-huh. I'm mixing him up with my other roommate Ethan Banner, but um, <laughs> Stevie Stevie would also be a great guest. Um, one of the the great ch- uh, keepers of the game. Oh yeah. Um, but I look up to those guys a lot. They've been around the sport a long time and yeah. and know what they're doing and and work really hard to get where they've gotten. Yeah. Um, in the, in the gym and on the on the pitch, so. Um, just a couple of people I, I look up to in Quidditch. Yeah, that's a really good answer because Cody is really great. Um, back when I before I joined any team and I was just working in Texas, I just moved to Texas. I went to the summer Austin Quidditch games and Cody was there and he was very friendly and very helpful. And uh, yeah, he was he was a big influence on me on my development. And I also had the fortune to play with him on a fantasy team one time at uh, a fantasy tournament with the Fire Nation. He did these hype speeches before the game about the fire nation <laughs> just 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 extracted them from his nether regions out of nowhere they were amazing it was like there's someone on the team he was like how does he do that <laughs> cody he's gives the best speeches even if he doesn't know what he's talking about he makes it sound like <laughs> he knows what he's talking about he is the man absolutely oh man those are really great those are really great answers all of them thank you oh man good time yeah, no problem yeah thanks all right. So, uh, as those who uh, heard at the top of the show or uh, already know who Mike is, uh, this is going to be a, a podcast about being a beater, um, which, as I've mentioned, is definitely a very unique position in sports, really. Not even in, in Quidditch, but in sports, there's really not anything else like it. Um, it's kind of like things that, that go into beating can kind of come from other sports, but not the same way that chasing. Like if you're in chasing, if you're good at basketball, you kind of automatically have some parts of, of being a chaser. Like, you know, same thing with like, but there's so much that goes into being a good beater. So um, I want my first question for you, Mike, is um, what is it that makes a good beater? Like what do you need to have and what can you train at to be? Well, let's break down into two parts. First of all, 
If you're C10 new rookies out there running around, what do you look for to spot who's going to be a good beater someday? Well, from the, the simplest answer to that, and then I can elaborate, it's, is I look for two things in someone who's a new beater and wants to be, become a good beater. Communication and decision-making. Mm. And I'll start with decision-making um, because it's very important to, um, at, at whatever experience level you are as a, as a beater, whether it's your first day playing or you've been playing for eight years, um, you really need to gain a grasp of knowing when to do something and when not to do something mm-hmm. um, as far as um, trying to, to beat the other team's beater, trying to beat the other team's chaser, um, trying not to beat someone because you got to worry about something else happening, yeah. knowing your, your surroundings and being aware um, and knowing how to react to that. Um, and, and just kind of... N- and, and you're gonna you're gonna guess wrong sometimes. Like even the most experienced beaters make, like, can make a wrong decision every once in a while. But it's it's about making the right decision the most amount of times that you can, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and 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 gaining from that that knowledge and that experience what worked and what didn't, and and the type of decisions you can make to help your team win. Um, and then as far as communication, um, so. Beaters are the only position in Quidditch that they have one teammate who are um, doing the exact same position as them in any given game. So chasers and keepers have there. There's you know it's a group of them that they can rely on each other. Beaters have to be on the same page as one other person. And that's their beater partner. Mm-hmm. And if if the two of you aren't on the same page, whether it's when you're trying to um, play defense, whether it's trying to get bludger control back whether it's trying to prevent the other team from catching the snitch, um, you really want to be on the same page with your partner. Um, and and it, that it helps a lot to like vocally communicate what you're doing or what you want your partner to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully if you're on the same page, you'll be able to be successful. Um, so being able to communicate and um, make good decisions, I think, are the most important things you can pick up on from a beater pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And would you say that, and because a common answer to what does it take to be a good beater is experience. I know a lot of teams basically never put new people into beater position, which, you know, makes sense because it takes time to learn to read the field, to to understand the, the pace at which the game is played, when fast breaks you're going to give them up when you're not. But could you would you say that, that there's a, an element like that's like inborn or maybe like at least from an early age has been developed a decision making or is it also like like how much of it would you say is going to be from the experience versus maybe you just have it i don't think um athleticism uh and like awareness in sports um i feel like those things you can bring in from other sports and like have already have, but like no one's going to step on the pitch and be a great beater right away. Mm-hmm. Um, because you need to learn the rules and you need to learn the, the nuances of the game. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't think it's really possible to be a great beater without already having learned like from game experience, what you should and shouldn't do. Um, but I think like raw athleticism and, and things like that, um, you can definitely bring into the uh, position from day one, um, and and I know 
you know, people say, you know, you have to have a lot of experience to be a great beater. And, and I think it's, I think it's true to an extent in the sense that if you ha- don't have like those experiences of doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing on the pitch, then you're not going to know like if that'll work next time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when you learn habits that work for you and work for your beater partner, um, or like the tendencies of the beaters on the other team, like if you've played against the same team five times, you know, in in one season, uh, then you'll learn, you know, this beater really is afraid to throw at me, you know, um, so you can be a little more aggressive with them. Or this beater never focuses on the beaters, he only beats the chasers, then that knows then you can kinda, you know, sneak up on them, maybe hit the bludger out of their hand or mm-hmm. or, you know. Um so experience is helpful in the sense that you learn like strengths and weaknesses of yourself and of your opponents. Um mm-hmm. so I think in that sense experience is pretty valuable. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um I know that's probably frustrating for someone who wants to be a beater to hear that, like, oh, you just have to be experienced. It's like, well, you know, but but I think that I think also maybe the, the priorities of the team can really influence that to some degree because basically, if your beaters are new, you're going to give up fast breaks for days. That's just kind of how it is, right? I mean, this, that seems to be my experience at least. But you know, if you're okay with losing some games while your beaters learn, you know, I think that. I think probably one of the most important things to being a good beater is wanting to be a good beater. I mean, you know. No, absolutely. I agree. Um, and, and you know, those the things that I mentioned are sound simple, but they're, they're important for, like, very high-level, like, beaters who, mm-hmm. you know, have been around the game for a while. Like, when you're first starting out, you really want to focus on, um, as I said earlier, being able to make good decisions and yeah. communicate with your teammates, but also like, um, like, I, just like working hard to to learn the game and to get in the best shape as possible and have good endurance and and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard it. I heard a quote one time. It, it goes, um, "It takes no talent to hustle," ah. which I think is which I think is really cool because That's it's good. you know. You don't have to be the best to to be the hardest worker, and um, you know, talent. Uh, there's another thing I like: uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. That's so true. basically, like you can be one of the best players, but if you aren't, you know, treating your body right and and working out and stretching and drinking a lot of water and studying the game and trying to improve as a teammate, yeah. Like if you aren't doing those things someone who's new might do those things and become better than you and beat you um, because they, they hunt, they're hungry and they want to they want to become a better player yeah. so really having the drive and having the the hunger to, to become a good player um, is the most important thing when you're starting out yeah I absolutely agree I mean you know that that's uh, I really like that one that there takes zero talent to hustle that's good or I guess you could also think of it that it takes a different kind of talent maybe a maturity or a or a drive or motivation, you know, something different about you. But that's definitely mm-hmm. good. That's inspiring for people like me who don't necessarily have a lot of talent, um, but <laughs> but want to to play anyway, want to to get better. I actually I I prefer beating over chasing personally. And one of the reasons might sound weird is because my background is not in sports at all. I've never been good at sports, but I have a black belt in karate, and I find beating to be very a, a second cousin uh, of of martial arts 
I find it to be because like you mentioned the decision making and I'm not saying I'm a great decision maker because Lord knows I've thrown a lot of bludgers away in my time. Um, <laughs> but, but maybe just kind of, I think, I think that actually kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk about. Cause I think I like to work against other beaters better. Like I honestly don't know that I'm a very good, um, beater working against chasers. Like I'm okay. I'm not great. But like, would you say maybe there are different kinds of good beaters who are good at different things and maybe you know what would those things be because i would maybe guess that you know beating against beaters and beating against chasers are completely different skill sets and you can be good at one and not the other what do you say about that um yeah that's i mean i've never really thought about that before um beating against chasers um if we're assuming that, like, you're not having pressure from the other team's beaters, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I think that's a lot easier, I mean, it, to to beat chasers when there isn't the added pressure of, oh, there's also a beater trying to get the budget from me mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, whereas I think it's harder to be a beater beating against beaters. Yeah. That's kind of a mouthful to say. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, because, because... Well, for one, the other beaters are able to interact with your your bludgers, whether it's catching it or dodging. You know, well, yeah. chasers can dodge it, but um, but like beaters have more that they can counteract against what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, but it, do, I mean, it does take different skills, um, different types of awareness, um, and it takes a lot of communication on with your beater partner, whether you're playing defense against chasers or trying to get bludger control against other teams' beaters or whatever, um, to know where each other are are at on the pitch and, you know, what your goal in that certain play is. Um, so it is kind of a different style, but um, I think if you're good at one, you can learn to be good at the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, um, I think in particular that I think about, um, you know, it, when I played, I played dodgeball like at Go Games last year, and I was kind of winning a little bit. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to do good because I've been beating for a long time. I did terrible, and I think what it was is that in dodgeball anyone can hit you. In Quidditch, you only have two enemies. Everyone else is your prey, basically. No, um, <laughs> everyone on the other team's the enemy. <laughs> well, no, but like the like the chasers on the other team. Well, yeah, not. MLQ 2017 notwithstanding, can't really do anything about if you decide to beat them, like except to run away or dodge or something. Like they can't threaten, they can't make you go back to hoops. Like no matter what, you yeah, know? they can't it's, take your budget away. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned dodgeball because I have learned that dodgeball teams full of Quidditch players, uh, particularly beaters, make amazing dodgeball teams. <laughs> but there's one exception, and the exception is. If the dodgeball game isn't using like balls that are similar to bludgers, oh yeah. Um, so if they're using like the really soft like um, balls that have a radius of like half the size of a bludger, like the foam then, ones. Yeah, like the foam yeah. ones. Then it's a completely different type of throw. That's true. Um, and you might throw your arm out throwing that the way you throw a bludger. <laughs> um, so if you show up, word to anyone out there who shows up to a uh, dodgeball tournament with a bunch of beaters. You'll probably do great unless the ball is different than, like, severely different than a bludger. Then you are much less, like, you're much more equal to the other team <laughs> than if you're throwing with bludgers. That's um, funny. So just a word to the wise. But um, So I have a question for you. You were saying yeah. you have a background in uh, karate, right? Yeah, that's right. 
how how are you able to correlate that to the beater position? Because I haven't heard of anyone else having a, a karate background translating that to being a beater. Um, I say that that uh, a couple things. So first of all, Shotokan karate uses the ground like as as basically trying to you, the stance is all very low and very long and you you use your legs to drive your movements which so basically like which translates similar to like how you would throw a, a, a football you know is usually the closest throw in other sports to how you would throw a, a, a bludger um and even though i don't have a lot of practice throwing footballs and and so forth like using my feet like basically in karate you you your feet are really important like you want to be able to develop power from the ground with this long big stance but you do it and then immediately afterwards you go back to a more mobile stance like like basically like you 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 can develop power quickly by setting your stance and throwing you know your whole body into something and then the next moment you're you're lighter in the feet again. So basically, like mm-hmm. you can only do one or the other. You can only be heavy feet and set your stance and use power, or you can be lighter in your feet and quick. But to be a good beater, you need to have when you make a throw, it has to be a good throw. Like you cannot like make a bad throw, <laughs> like because it's gonna get caught or it's gonna miss. Or it's, you know, and like so any of these backing up, throwing off your back foot kind of things, like those are always you you should never throw like those basically is, is my view and karate kind of has kind of like the more i play quidditch the more i'm like oh i know how to do this i know how to move quickly from side to side laterally set my feet and throw a bludgeon in an instant and then the next moment be ready to catch a run or something else quickly or dodge so i would say that's one thing and then the other thing that comes in from karate for me is kind of the mentality like, which is why I think I like going against other beaters, because it's like, I have a dodgeball, you have a dodgeball, like, you know, and I kind of focus all my energy on that beater, and like, I can feel with my energy, uh, you know, when they're in my kill zone, like, when I know I can make a 90% beat, like, basically, and like, and and once they're in that zone and, and I have to make that that decision, that choice to throw, like that feels good to me that I I'm matching up with this person. Like and, and on you know, when I go against experienced beaters or beaters with very strong arms, I don't have a very strong arm, like, you know, that I can kind of feel like I'm in their kill zone before, or they're in mine and then I have to adjust and things like that. And that can be challenging. But going against newer beaters, because I've I've gone to fantasy tournaments where I play against new beaters. And I just ripped them apart because, like, I have no hesitation. Like, there's always, for new beaters, a hesitation. Like, a moment of, like, you know, like, what do you do? Yeah, like, what am I supposed yeah. to do? Like, like, am I supposed to throw it? Am I supposed to try and catch? Am I still, like, and then that's kind of that, you take advantage of that moment and and take them out. And because I wasn't even, because it was actually, like, um, a year and a half ago when I went to Mighty Morphin Fantasy Tournament at SFA, which didn't have a lot of of, of elite players from large programs. It really had uh, people from Arkansas and and, uh, and um, uh, SFA and Death Row and, and like smaller programs. And I went beater. I actually went chaser first, and I didn't do very good, and I switched to beater, and I, like, carried blue team to the finals single-handedly 
because I was going against single handedly. Of- I was on what? that team with you. No, 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 not this last year. <laughs> what? No, <laughs> no, not the most recent. Not Mighty Morphin. Uh, uh, not Mighty Morphin. The one before. No, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> sir. I was gonna say you're gonna have me on no. your show and then say no. that we were on the same team and we you weren't. carried our team. Hang on, no, you weren't. First, you were definitely not on my team. You weren't there, and see, this wasn't. See if I come back on the show oh, after that, man, no. What have I done? <laughs> I'm kidding, uh, I'm kidding. No, you were on blue team this last year. Um, no, the year before that was the um. A Star Wars theme, and I was on Blue Team. That's and right. I carried us to the final, not not single handedly. I don't want to disrespect the people who are on my team. It, everyone put in good work. It was tough, but but I mean, I beat and I beat. A, I, I knocked out a lot of beaters those games. Like and it because a lot of them were less experienced, and I don't I don't delude myself into thinking I could go out and beat against Long Star or Team USA, and I'm going to have that level of success. Because for experienced beaters, they don't have that hesitation, you know, like, they were just like, oh, okay, now, now, like, I'm, you know, kind of, they've already locked in on me, they know when I'm going to throw, they can read my body language. But for newer beaters, you know, that martial arts background really makes me feel like I can actually accomplish something, which is the reason we play sports, to feel like we've accomplished something. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I and I've heard the expression before: you beat with your feet. Your feet are very important, which I haven't had coaching of that specifically, but intuitively makes sense. Would you say that that's something that you guys are? Yeah, actually, um, when when you said you didn't have a great arm, I was the first thing I thought of um, was that having a great arm is is overrated as a beater. Mm, yeah, um, because it's only so often that you're going to throw a really long, like attempt a really long beat. Um, and it's great if you can hit it, but like if you're throwing a long beat, it's probably like a desperation kind of play. Like maybe the other team has a fast break, yeah. Um, and you're just trying to prevent a goal because um, mm-hmm. it's not very often that you throw a long beat at a beater. Um, and the expression "beat with your feet," Augie Monroe, you should tell that to me. Um, use that phrase with me a lot at UT practices, yeah. and it, it's kind of what it beat with your feet. Like it's kind of hard to understand if you don't like understand the meaning of it. Um, it means that you're really wanting to get as close as you can to like the people you want to beat, whether it's the other team's qualified carriers or the other team's beaters. Um, it's usually more used when you're trying to beat the other team's chasers and you're in defense. Um, and it's particularly useful when the weather is bad, like if it's rainy and the ground's wet or, um, you know, what, what have you. Um, but what it really means is you, you're running around the pitch as much as you can, um, trying to make the easiest throws for yourself um, yeah. so that your accuracy is high and your chances of, of beating your opponents are high. Um, so, like, a, a simple drill that you can work on that is have two chasers, like, maybe 15 yards apart from each other, 20 yards apart, yeah. and have them just throw the quaffle back and forth. And you can work on sprinting um, from one to the other with your bludger in your hand. And then the moment they um, make like a bad pass or don't catch the quaffle, then you beat them. Yeah. And that's a good way to work on beating with your feet. It's just like getting putting yourself in a good position to beat the other team. And that's really what it's about. So mm, Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense definitely. Um, it's funny because I actually – I kind of knew that was part of what it is to quote unquote beat with your feet, but like I thought of it more also as the throwing stance. Like, because if you set your feet, 
and throw, you can develop power from your whole body, which is which is not unlike a baseball throw. Or, well, a baseball throw, like a pitcher's throw, is too big a wind-up for Quidditch usually. But like mm-hmm. um, like any other, like a, a fielder's baseball throw, they, they they if you watch their footwork, they always set their feet and throw, unless they're like really just whipping it to someone nearby. If they're really going to huck it, they these are and these are of course world class athletes themselves, but they set their feet one foot in front of the other, not in a straight line with a bit of a, a width as well. Then t- as their hip turns, their arm moves and they throw you know, simultaneously that, and that's a similar throwing motion that a quarterback uses for a football. Um, usually, I mean, if they're good, then let's say Jay Cutler and they're always backing up and throwing high in the air and stuff, you know? Um, Oh, I'm glad you don't like Jay Cutler because I don't either. uh, I mean, Um, you know, (laughs) um, I'm sure he's a nice uh, one. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah. As a, as a beater, a lot of the, the power in your throws are coming from your legs. So that's another good way to think about, um, the beat with your feet phrase mm-hmm. um like that's when you're when someone's a new beater the first thing you'll want to like perfect with your form mm-hmm. is how you're throwing the ball and like how your body is um so like if you're right-handed generally you'll want to like step forward with your left leg yeah and then really get that power from like your your legs and your hips yeah, when you hip when turn. you turn your hip and, and mm-hmm. throw with your right arm yeah um and a lot of people, when they start out, if they don't have a background in a sport where they're used to throwing a ball, yeah. um, like football or baseball or softball, mm-hmm. um, they they don't necessarily have that like instinct to throw it that way. Yeah. Um, and once you figure that out, you can really figure out how to gain power mm-hmm. um, and throw harder and faster. And then once you figure that out, you can learn how to be more accurate as well. Um, yes. Yeah, and part so, of the yeah, let, part of the trick to to being accurate with that bigger hip turn and everything is to keep your head straight, rat not twist your head as you twist your body. That's part of the, and that's another thing that I bring from karate because that's what we do in karate. The head and the upper body are are straight, like a like rigid rod straight, and then the the hip turn happens and the body twist and the arm moves and everything without the head rocking at all. That's which we practice a lot mm-hmm. in karate. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so having a karate background is really interesting for a beater. I've never heard that before. Hmm. Um, I'm sure, I'm I actually come from a. What's that? I'm sure I'm not the first, but you know that is still, you know, <laughs> first I'm, podcast host I've heard I, of I that. Guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually come from a, a basketball background. Oh. Um, so, like, if you heard that, you would think, "Oh, he's a chaser," um, because like generally people think of chasing as having more of a similarity to basketball which is yeah. true yeah um with the passing and the trying to score and the and the goal and the tempo um, i tell people the tempo of quidditch is like basketball you know, yeah you have a set sure. piece set piece fast break yeah mm-hmm. um i try and uh, i was a point guard in basketball mm-hmm. so what what i had to do was um know where everyone is on the court have have high awareness mm-hmm. and kind of anticipate what's going to happen next. Yeah. Like whether it's um, my teammate cutting to the hoop and I can pass them the ball, anticipate what the other team's going to do so I can try and steal it and go score. Um, so I try and translate that to beating yeah. um, and anticipate what the other team's going to do. Um, I, like, for example, if my point defender, so my teammate who's a chaser who's standing in front of me, if he's guarding the quaffle carrier mm-hmm. and then um 
someone on the uh, one of the chasers on the other team sets a pick on our point defender, then the qualified carry is going to run around the pick, right? Yeah. So, um, like in basketball, that'd be a good time to pass the ball to the person coming. Yeah. So you have to anticipate that coming. Mm-hmm. So I anticipate the guy running around the pick with a quaffle, and so I can try and throw it before he even sees it coming and beat him. And so that's that's one way I've tried to like transfer like mm-hmm. what I've learned in basketball to beating. Um, and it's also fun to make behind the bag beats and <laughs> things like that, like like behind the pass bat, uh, behind the back passes in basketball. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one way to to think about it. Yeah. I know. I know. Actually, when I asked from after one of the fantasy tournaments I went to, I got in touch with a couple of people who've been playing a long time and asked for their feedback. And one thing they told me is, I need to play a little more chess, like kind of see farther ahead. And I think part of the problem with me and probably with a lot of other new beaters is not knowing when to give up on the play. Like, because I know that's a thing that that, for example, quarterbacks. Again, I think quarterback really does has a, have a, a lot in common with beating because. They're decision mm-hmm. makers. They're holding the ball, and they have to know when to throw the ball away, basically, or check down, or things like that. Kind of not make a negative play, like making a zero, like making a zero play or a slightly negative play. You know, like is a safe thing is less fun than trying to like hook it into the end zone into triple coverage and stuff. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and I definitely have too much gunslinger in me right now still. But like, um, <laughs> would you say as an experienced beater, like? Like, what is it that you lean on to know when to kind of give up on a play? Like when, and and I think you know what I'm talking about. But like, basically, new beaters give up a lot of fast breaks, and so how can we kind of break that? Um. So one thing I always tell like new beater partners or people who are new to beating, um, when they're trying to figure out like when to try and have like maintain bludger control or regain bludger control. Or when to play defense. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal philosophy is that you should try and stop the goal instead of trying to get budget control if you're on defense, because you can always try and get budget control back on the next play, mm-hmm. but you can't like get back a goal that you let the other team score. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, yeah. so I rather my my team try and prevent the goal and then get budget control back the next play, mm-hmm. than take a chance on budget control, which may or may not work out, and yeah. let the other team score. Um, and and that, that that's easier said than done. Like even experienced beaters might make the wrong decision doing that sometimes. And it gets super tempting. Like if the bludgers are on the ground right next to you, but the yeah. chaser is right next to you and he's about to score. Um, but in most scenarios, um, the best decision there is to try and prevent the goal. Yeah. Um. Now that's that's situational. You know, if you're up by a lot, you can afford to give up the goal or whatever. But that's generally what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of just one example of that. Yeah, and I would say that, uh, you know, like, I think that new beaters especially can often, like, like on defense, like, like on defense, the big fork is if you see your beater buddy in trouble and you have, like, a clean shot on the beater who's about to pick up the loose bludger, you throw the bludger away, you hope you can get it back before the chaser scores, but, like, that's a tough choice. And that's definitely, you know, I think that that can come down to team philosophy to some degree. I definitely agree that, like, mm-hmm. usually you want to try and stop the goal, but some teams value budget control more than others. Um, but then also on offense, I think that 
when you're trying to get blood. First of all, actually, here, let me ask you this question, which is a related subject. What's your favorite way to get back bludger control on offense? To never lose it. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, let me write that one down. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an easy philosophy. Um, No, that's that's the cop-out answer. Um, (laughs) The... uh, my favorite way is to um, have my beater partner go behind the player. So first of all, and I, I tell this to any new beater I'm playing with, um, you want to focus in on uh, – well, I'm not saying the way I do is necessarily the way everyone should do it. Yeah. So I won't say it's like the only sol- like the only po- like solution, but mm-hmm. um, personally I um, – tell my beater partners that we need to focus on the same beater to try and get blood control back from. Because yeah. mm-hmm. if I'm going towards one of their beaters and my beater partner's going to the other one, the chances of us getting beat and like not being able to be back on defense with a bludger is, are pretty high. Yeah. Um, so I like for us to kind of isolate one of the two beaters. Um, and then I like for my beater partner to, to be in a line with me um, like on either side of their beater. So okay. if you and I are beater partners uh, and, um, you know, the other team's beater who we're trying to get budget control from is between us, I want you to kind of be in a straight line with me. Yeah. So if I miss the beat on them, hopefully you can clean it up if yeah. it, you know, or pick it up. Um, or best case scenario is you are able to kind of sneak up on them and either hit the budger out of their hand while yeah. I have them distracted or maybe you can hold their arm so that way they can't throw at me. Yeah. Um, so basically, just kind of fo- focusing in on this on the same beater, mm-hmm. um, which generally would be the one who is either in a worse position um, and easier to isolate, or maybe the one that's not as strong of a beater as the other one, because yeah. um, they might not make as you know as smart of a decision, um, and just kind of isolate them and kind of close in on them, and then find an opportunity to um, to unleash on them. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're not able to like oftentimes what happens is the two beaters beat each other out and mm-hmm. that's when the the second the the beater partner has to make a decision of what to do next and best case scenario is they're able to find both of the bludgers and throw them back you know throw one back to their teammate who's tagging in yeah. and grab the other one that i mean that's best case scenario um but obviously they got to watch out for the other beater and you know worry about getting back on defense so there's kind of a lot going through your head yeah um but that's kind of the way I like to do it. And I think a lot of people do it in a similar fashion. Makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, the way we practice, well, actually, I'll go ahead and share this for any teams looking to make their beaters unreasonably aggressive like ours are. Um, the, the basic drill we do in Victoria to, for beater practice is called King of the Hill, which basically it's just what it sounds like. One beater is at the hoops and they're the king. And one by one, everyone else has a bludger. One by one, they come and challenge the king and try and beat them out without also getting beat. So if you if you mutual, if you double beat, the king is still the king. But if you beat them and you're not beat, then you're the new king. And we just go for like 10 minutes straight. Just go, go, go. And you, once you pick up the bludger, you're eligible to be beat, beat, beat again. So that teaches awareness also because people often pick up their bludger and they walk over and then they get beat in the back and it's like, you should have been paying attention. Um, <laughs> so that that's that we do that a lot in Victoria. We actually did that today at Quidditch practice and it was a lot of fun. And uh, 
But then what I do after that is we also do what's called taking the hill, which is where there's two beaters on offense attacking the king, but only one bludger between them. So that's try, try and simulate that iso play that you're talking about. Um, we don't usually go behind. I like that. I think it's interesting. But usually what we do, usually the, the empty-handed beater comes at them kind of from a 90-degree or 45 angle onto their dominant arm to try and grab that dominant arm side. If they come, they, they come at them from the player's right or left, depending on which where they're holding the bludger. And mm-hmm. so, and we practice that a lot. So hopefully, we can actually get bludger control back. But we'll see. You know, when we lose it, inevitably. And, yeah, and and I like mixing it up too, especially mm-hmm. if something like the part, like a part of being a good like player, mm-hmm. um, or a good team in general is being able to make adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. And know if something isn't working. So if I'm trying the same thing over and over and it's not working, well, I should try something new. Yeah. Um, but as far as getting bludger control back, um, I really like trying to get in my opponent's heads. Mm-hmm. And if I feel like I'm really, like, in, if we're really intimidating the other team's beaters, um, I like to to kind of push the envelope on, on what we can do. Yeah. So I might even be the one with the bludger and be between their beater and their hoops <laughs> and yeah. force them to throw back their own hoops. Because, um, like, if they if they have a tendency to, instead of, like if I'm trying to beat them and they don't throw it at me, they just throw it back to their own hoops. Yeah. And I like to challenge them to keep doing that if I'm by their hoops. Uh, um, that's smart. And kind of get in their head and they'll be like, oh, wow, he's really not scared that like he's going to get beat. He's just waiting at my hoops for me. Um, so I don't know. That's just kind of something that's fun to, to mix up and try. It definitely feels like having beat for a while, I tell new beaters that like you should feel like your half of the pitch is air and the other half is water and you're going diving. And so it's definitely scary to like go like, cause some new beaters are like literally behind their opponent's hoops trying to beat people. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get back, get out of there. But that is kind of a no fear kind of thing to really go all the way out there. But you really have Mm -hmm. to know where both bludgers are. Um, For sure. Definitely. Oh man. Um, (laughs) uh, I wanted to, to, I thought of something, but it didn't come up at the in, in conversation earlier. I run this. I ran a, a beanie clinic once. I want to do it another one kind of soon with our new beaters. And one thing I had people do was sit down and throw the bludger at me, like from some distance. And I was like, so I, that's the first thing we did. Literally, the first thing was like, all right, try and beat me from you know over there or whatever. And they they threw. It. And some people actually with a strong arm could actually kind of get it near me or whatever. But I said that's that's the best you can throw when you don't incorporate your lower body. And so mm-hmm. the lower body aspect, um, like, you know, setting your feet, like I was talking about earlier, like when I say beat with your feet, it definitely is two parts to it because like, and, and when you're going beater on beater, you know, having the footwork to kind of move around and cause, cause defensively we all take turns having this two on one coming at us. Right. And so like one thing, uh, will do is move around a little bit to try and, and throw off the positioning of that empty-handed beater and stuff. Either keep them between the two beat the, the beater, keep them between you and the beater with the bludger, or move around to that to make them behind you so that they can't steal from you, they can't tackle you anymore. Um, it makes me think of that because having that mobility. Some beaters are much more rangy than others. That's the word I use. I think it's a commonly used word. Like one of our beaters in particular, she's like really fast and she just runs and runs and she's so small that she corners really easily. 
Is so, it Alex? Yeah, Alex. She's a beast. <laughs> and and Alex, like, you'll see her run at a chaser. They pass it, and she plants on a dime, turns and runs at them. And that's kind of that beater versus chaser that I was talking about earlier that she's really good at, that that, that footwork can really help with. Um, uh, versus someone who's like like Dylan, who's on our team also, whose his knee is kind of not great, um, and he's never been a very fast guy. Um, you know, he he he's not as rangy. I think it kind of makes sense to have a you know a beater pairs. One of them can be rangier than the others. That's something that I was thinking about um, uh, with regards to the to the throwing. But like the other thing, I was I'm distracting myself now because I was talking about. First, first you would throw while sitting down. That's kind of the best you're going to get if you're backing up. Like if you, that's the thing, if you're backing up and you try and throw, that's the best you're going to get. The same as throwing while sitting down. So one thing I practiced with people was literally just turning and setting their their stance. Like turn and set their stance. Like I would actually say north and yell north and then yell east and then yell south and yell east again. You know, to get people's feet moving. Um, mm-hmm. because, and then we'd also do a shuffle where they'd shuffle to the left, shuffle, that's something we do in karate. And so it's like natural for me, but, um, but that's, uh, something else that, cause I, I don't know. Do you guys practice turn beating? I was like, Augie did that with us once in cavalry and I stole it. I don't know if that comes from UT where you would literally just turn and try and make the beat as you turn and plant your feet. Yeah. No. Um, for sure. I, I call that turn and beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we would as beaters my when i was one of the co-captains at texas quidditch we did that for like 10 minutes yeah at the beginning of every practice mm. um so we would have uh, someone pretending like and it doesn't have to necessarily be a chaser but they would like act like they're a chaser yeah. and just run like towards the hoops or away from the hoops or yeah. behind the hoops or in front of the hoops and um the beater is facing the opposite direction they're facing away from the hoops yeah and when someone says turn they turn they put themselves in a position to have a good um good opportunity to beat the person then they throw it Mm. um and and so the person we have the person running maybe you know 50 60 percent speed um and then we have the person turn and and throw it at them and Mm. it's i think it's really applicable to to gameplay um because often, like, the quaffle carrier might be in front of you and they might pass it over your head to someone else or whatever. Yeah. And so you have to quickly turn and locate where, you know, where the ball just went and if you're able to throw. And a lot of times there'll be people in your way. The hoops might be in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't have a good angle, you know, you can put yourself in a better position, run towards them, and, and then set, set and throw. Um, yeah. And I think that's a really, really, really valuable um, skill to have. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I work on that about every practice I go to at some point, um, just kind of hone that skill. Yeah. That's a, Yeah. We've, we've, I stole that from, uh, from cavalry practice. I remember, um, we, we've done that a bunch and it's funny because I was thinking about ranginess. Like Alex is very rangy. Her turn beat isn't really that good. And Dylan's kind of the opposite. He's not very fast. He doesn't cover a lot of territory, but his turn beats are really good. Like just whips it around, just turns his body mechanics are just beautiful. They just turns, plants, twist, throw like in one quick motion, and he's strong too. That also helps a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Strong in the whole body, and so yeah, he'll just nail people who are like you know twenty yards away or something like that, who are in the middle of catching a pass. 
So yeah. I feel like, you know, he, Dylan and Alex, well, they, they work together well for a lot of reasons. Obviously, their communication and and they're just kind of on the same wavelength, which would make sense because they're married now. Um, congratulations, guys. So. <laughs> congratulations. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, it uh, got me thinking. I guess this will be my, my last subject for the day. Like, if you're – because I know – a lot of sports is really about personnel evaluation. I think that gets overlooked sometimes, but like you look at this person and say, what, what do they have? What do they need? What can I develop? But also what do they, they give the team? And, you know, um, what are some different beating pairs you've seen that are successful um, in overtime uh, that, that involve like beating pairs working together that have complementary abilities? Couples. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, of course. On that next level, <laughs> um, if you if you're able to be in a in a romantic relationship with your beater partner, it will it will inherently make you better beaters. Um, I, I'm I'm partly kidding, but partly serious. Um, being just kind of it starts with practicing with them a lot and learning their habits and their tendencies, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And that's not something that you would necessarily need to like communicate or like say out loud. Like you don't need to say, Hey, you're really bad at throwing long. Like <laughs> why don't, why don't I make the longer throws? Like that's something you can kind of just pick up on what their, what their limitations are and what their abilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to build each other up. You want to give each other confidence and, let each other know that you always have your, each other's back, and um, you know. And and the more you practice together, the more you'll be on the same page. And like, I won't need to tell you what I'm gonna do. You'll like, you can figure out what I'm doing, and you know, just a simple head nod or or something like that can can go a long way once you play together for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, having like communication and chemistry, and I think being close, like off the pitch. Um, like my beater partner for like a year and a half at UT, um, we like would watch, like hang out and play games together and study together. And, um, like we had a group of friends and like we would hang out all the time. And, um, I think that helps like build trust and like, Mm -hmm. and just like getting to know each other. And, and I feel like the closer you are to your beater partner, the better y'all will be on the pitch. Now you might argue more, (laughs) Um, but, but I mean, it's all, it's all fun and games. Um, and, and just kind of learning each other's like habits and tendencies. You can really go a long way together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it, and it definitely is a trend. I mean, you know, Beth and Ryan Peebler and Giannis and Dahlia and Cal in, in the West coast. I don't even know all the, the, the couples, you know, they don't always make it public, but yeah, there's definitely a, a level of, of communication and closeness that develops from that, you know, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> just to, just, just to clarify, we are in, endorsing Quidsess, just, just so you know. <laughs> yes, we are endorsing it. If you want to be a good beater, be, uh, date your beater partner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. And, and gay guys out there better hope your team has a lot of two male beater. <laughs> <laughs> No, but actually Dylan and I um, do have a pretty decent, well, it's not ideal. He has definitely has better chemistry with Alex, but he and I have been playing together for two years. I, the one who brought him into the sport. So we also are just kind of like, okay, we kind of know how this is going to go. So <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, 
Man, I'm looking forward to our, our first tournament of the year. It's this weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. I have no idea how we're going to do it. We'll find out. <laughs> what teams What teams will be there? Tell us a little bit about the tournament. Oh, yeah. So we're going to Battle for the X, which is a D2 tournament. No teams from Nationals are, are going uh, from last year's Nationals. So it's going to be us, the Victoria Spartans. It's going to be uh, Sharknados, the Texas State's JV team. It's going to be Death Row, which is SHSU's JV team. It's going to be Cosmos, Houston Cosmos, and then there's um, uh, whom I Oh yes, obviously Lumberjack, the host SFA, and then um, SMU is signed up and paid, but I don't see them as registered, so I don't know if they're going or not. Like I don't know, um, but yeah, hmm. well, hopefully that'd be fun. It'll be, it'll be a surprise, them. I guess. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Well, they they got to be registered <laughs> to submit their yeah. roster in time, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> And this is a, an official tournament, right? It is official this year. That's actually and, what motivated us to go official. We were not sure we were going to go official, but then Lumberjack said, oh, it's going to be official. No unofficial teams allowed. And we were like, well, we'll just uh, rustle up some money. <laughs> and this is in Nacogdoches, Texas, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, how, how far is that from uh, Victoria? Four-hour drive. So it's it's tough. It's tough to do. We're going to go up Friday night. we got housing, so it'll be all right. We're looking forward cool. to yeah. It's uh, yeah. It it Quidditch trips are always a, a bonding event. You know, get to know people after driving with them for four hours, mm-hmm. crash on someone's floor. You know, <laughs> you know, go out and play T- some tell Quidditch. ghost stories and everything like that late into the night. <laughs> oh my God, our team. We went to we not this year, but last year's breakfast taco. A bunch of us murked with Cosmos. And we mm-hmm. all got housing in, in one place. We were all basically crammed into one decent-sized bedroom. And we, like, were trying to fall asleep at, like, midnight. And, like, we, we got the giggles really hard. Like, we were finally, finally about to fall asleep and someone would say something funny. And everyone would laugh for, like, five minutes. It brought that's, us together. That's the best part. It brought that's us the together. best part. It's the bonding and hanging out is the best part. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we're humans. That's what we want. We want to be valued. We want to be part of something, you know, and sports gives us. It's one way we can get that. It's not the only way. It's not for everyone. But, you know, growing at something, becoming better at something and, and building something as, together, you know, that's the it's a very human experience. Sports are sports are human, you know, like people mm-hmm. like some people make have to take a point of pride. Oh, I'm not a sports person. I don't know. And it's like, that's fine. You don't have to be a sports person. But when they're like, oh, I don't understand why you would care about sports. It's like, well, then you don't understand people very well, do you? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what's cool about Quidditch is you don't have to be a player to, like, enjoy the community. Like, I yeah. know I have a lot of friends that don't play, but, like, they're, you know, friends mm. of, you know, the team I'm on. Or, yeah. or, you know, they enjoy going to tournaments and hanging out or whatever. And so it's cool that it's, it's in, inclusive and like everyone's welcome and, and is able to have a good time. So, yeah. um, you know, you don't have to be a, a hardcore athlete or big, big competitor to enjoy Quidditch. Yeah. To be a part so. of it. Definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I've really enjoyed every second of it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, to checking this out in your future podcast. Yes, thank you. Um, and uh, and uh, to those anyone out there listening, again, you know, I'm definitely looking for more people to talk Quidditch, how to play the different aspects of the sport. You know, 
Um, I am an introvert, so I do get tired of sending out messages that don't get answered. So, you know, if you're interested, hit me up. You know? Hey, Leho, how, how can we check out your podcast? Where can we find them? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so it's actually available on iTunes. You can actually download it and subscribe and, and download directly through iTunes or the, uh, the uh, podcast app on, like, on most devices. Or you can go direct, listen to it directly at podcast.howtoplayquidditch.org. Because uh, uh, how to play Quidditch is an actual thing. Um, which I don't know if people are aware of it. Like I, I've posted it like half a dozen times on different places where it's like, Oh really? How do you play Quidditch? And I would just put the link like how to play Quidditch.org. And, uh, <laughs> like, there you go. I feel uh, like, I feel like there'd be a lot of people trolling like, like on Facebook and stuff in random places like, Oh, how do you play Quidditch? And then you can actually be like, boom, this is actually <laughs> how you play. Yep. It's right. That's awesome. Yep. And how I, does this niche work? Boom. Come check it out here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you I'm, just guys gonna, I'm just gonna use I'm just gonna use your link every time I see someone make like a sarcastic comment on like <laughs> a YouTube video or a Facebook video. I'm gonna be like, here, you can actually check it out here. <laughs> oh man, that's beautiful. Yes, I'm all about that. I mean, I I created the website because it should be a resource, you know, how to play Quidditch, and it also I I worked I worked for a while on a on a on a training manual um, and playbook, which is currently like two thirds done but like the last third is kind of the hardest part so i haven't really worked on it much but i'm I'm thinking about finishing up and putting it on there and stuff just so people have it as a resource and and actually elizabeth barcelos actually recently tweeted out how she was trying to find quidditch training resources and she's like man you know there's not a lot of new stuff maybe how at how to play quid should get on it i was like all right i've been called i've been summoned just like my bat signal just went up so i'll have to do something with that that's awesome (laughs) oh man yeah i mean i I love the sport and i want it and i think it can bring i've seen it bring so much joy into people's lives there's like literally half the people on my team would have zero friends right now if they weren't on the quidditch team like that's a big deal that they have friends that they can do something you know like I want I want it to to be a part of this world, you know. So you know, I gotta do what I gotta do, and hopefully, listening to this podcast helps people also get more invested in the sport. A, a podcast by the people for the people. I love it. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Well, by a college professor in Texas, but for the people. <laughs> it makes me exactly. sound like I'm a grown up. I'm totally not a grown up. <laughs> I'm not grown up, folks. Just so you know. All right. Okay. Um, well, I think it's time to sign off. I want to thank you so much again for um, coming on the show and um, sharing your wisdom. And I, um, I, you know, if we if we have more uh, requests for more beating podcasts in the future, maybe I'll hit you up and we can get into some more nuances. We didn't even talk about immunity and all of the hilarious things that can go on with that. <laughs> oh man! Awesome. Thanks for yes. having me. I had a great time, and thanks to all our listeners for checking it out and. Let us know if you have any questions or, or anything like that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, Hit either of us up. I'm sure you can find us on the internet. Thanks for listening. Signing off for myself and Michael Duquette. Cheers.
Do you think in a couple and one of my podcasts you can actually if you you, know, you don't really notice unless you're listening for but one of my cats jumps on the table and I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> like very very subtle sounds of like <laughs> <laughs>